Well, this morning we are continuing in our, in our series on grace. It's about grace is greater. We talked two weeks ago that grace is greater than your past. Grace is greater than those things, than what you have, than your mess-ups. You may look at yourself and go, I'm the biggest mess-up in the world. Grace is greater than your mess-ups. And Satan that wants to keep you bound, Satan that wants to keep you bound in chains by your mistakes, by your things that you've done, by those aspects of your life that you're not proud of. And we all have them, don't we? We all have those things in our lives that we are not proud of, the areas, the places that we've messed up, thoughts we've had, people we've offended, uh, things that have gotten crossways. And Satan wants to keep you bound by those, thinking that you can't do anything right because of your mistakes. And two weeks ago, we talked about how God's grace is greater than those mistakes. He wants to unbind you from those mistakes and walk in victory. Last week, we talked about how God is greater than your hurts. God's greater than what has been done to you. God's greater than anything that has been done to you emotionally, physically, or whatever. And that we need to learn to walk in forgiveness toward to others, those who have offended us, those who have just gotten under your nerves, those who have just aggravated you, those other people who, and that's another form of bondage. When you don't give up to forgiveness, when you don't allow that forgiveness to become a part of your life, you've got yourself in bondage to that event. You put yourself back in bondage to that and Satan gets the victory. And he's just laughing his rear off. Today I want to talk about another area of grace being greater than. Grace is greater than your circumstances. And actually today, I was gonna, this was going to be one message. And as I got into studying this, God says, no, this is really needs to be covered in two different weeks. So we're going to talk about one point today. You're going, yes, we're out of here in time for the game. No, I'm still going to go till 2 o'clock. No. <laughs> By myself, maybe. Deacons, we need to lock those doors inside. Fire marshal's not allowed in. Nobody's allowed to leave. God is greater than your circumstances. We sang about that this morning. No matter what you're going through, God's grace is greater than your circumstances. He wants to sustain you. He wants to bring you through it. He wants you to endure, not with... How many of us endure like this? This is how I endure my circumstances. Any of you, anybody else like that? That's me. Too many times. I'm just going to endure my circumstances. Just going to get through it. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It's a small light. I'm going to get there. I've got a boss. I've got an in-law. <coughs> I've got whatever is going on. Health issue. I'm just going to endure. Do you ever think that God wants you to rejoice through those circumstances? Like God doesn't want you just to endure, but he wants you to be joyful and to get through it in his power and his strength so that on the other end of it, who gets the glory? Not you, him. So that his name is lifted up as a result of your circumstance. There was a man named Marcus. Several years back, he approached a pastor at a church in Kentucky and he said, I need some financial assistance. 
I need help for the church paying for my tombstone and my funeral services. And so pastor said, well, before, well, probably yes, but before we say yes, let's get together and find out, what one, what do you want put on your tombstone? And let me hear your story. So when he got together with Marcus, Marcus said, on my tombstone, I wanted to say, forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. Forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. And do you ever stop and think about that? Is gratefulness really a sin? Is it really a sin to be ungrateful for what we go through? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, what does it say? Give thanks in everything, for this is what? God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like a suggestion? Your wife has a honeydew list. That's, that's not a suggestion either, man. A suggestion is something you may or may not have to do. It's you have a choice in the matter. You, you, you're given a homework assignment in school. You can choose to do it. You can choose to not do it. If you choose to do it and you do it well, you get the rewards of your good works, of doing a good job. If you choose to do it and do it sloppily like I did one time and I turned in a research paper and got a big fat F just because I happened to quote, and I was writing a paper on an author and I, I was needing to fill space in my paper, right? We've been there. I increased the margins a little bit here, increased the font size. My teacher was blind. She couldn't tell, but she could read. And when I just happened to quote all of this author's works for two and a half pages, I didn't think she was really going to read my paper. Yeah, I found out what sloppy work results in. F. I paid the price for my choices. If you choose to not do your homework, or you choose just to ignore it, you also get the similar result as I did. When we approach our life circumstances and think that we can, one, do it in our own power, or that we can control our circumstances and not give thanks to God when we go through, when everything's not hunky-dory, and we start grumbling and griping and complaining, this verse tells me it's an offense to God. It's an offense to holy God because we have been commanded to be thankful and to give thanks in everything. You know the old phrase I, I, I taught you guys, all means all, and that's all all means? Yeah, everything is one of those all statements. Give thanks in everything. Not in some things, not in most things, not in 99%, not in 99.9. I'm, I'm going to get an A, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gripe at this one issue. No, this is give thanks in everything. Are there examples of this in Scripture? Why, yes, I'm glad you asked. There are. Exodus, chapter 16. God has just brought the Israelites out of Egypt... They're in the desert wandering around. 
they get to a point on the other side of the Red Sea where they've just seen God do miraculous works, right? They've witnessed his, his work in Egypt, the, the ten plagues, all that they did there, and God protected them, provided for them. And Sometimes the plagues would hit Egypt and not the land where they were living, right? They witnessed the mighty handiwork of God. They're being led by the tower of flame and the tower of smoke. Pillar of flame, pillar of smoke. And they're out there in the wilderness. Look at chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I think they forgot something. They forgot where they came from. Those pots of meat... Maybe it was like the meat I ate in downtown Beijing. In downtown Beijing, they have a night market. You go at night, that's why it's called the night market. It doesn't open until the sun goes down. And about a half mile long, you got booth after booth after booth after booth after booth after booth all the way down. And you start down here at this end. And when you got tourists, this is where we take our tourists. It's a lot of fun. And you start this end. And you pay about a dollar per booth that you go to, or 50 cents per booth you go to. And you get a skewer of scorpions here, and a skewer of silkworm larvae here, and a skewer with sea snake on this one, and a skewer of cat on this one, and a skewer of this, and a skewer of this. And, and you work your way all the way down. And there's drinks in there too. There's like fruit juices and coconut and all kinds of stuff. Stuff you can get all over China. You, instead of traveling to all the far reaches of China, you get it right in one place. I wonder if that's the kind of meat they were talking about. Some of it was good. A lot of it, not so good. But of course, as the tour guides, you want some of this. Oh, that's awesome. Try it. <laughs> right? Yeah, that was fun. Don't ever eat starfish. I'm just tell you that right now. Starfish. If anybody tries to get you, this is good. Yeah, no, thank you. My pastor told me, starfish, no. Cat, yes. Starfish, no. Just saying. Throwing that out there. So the Israelites, remembering back to their time in Egypt, if we only could go back and sit around the pots of meat they'd had back in Egypt. Remembering back to those fond times of slavery. So what does God do? He says, okay, I'll feed you. He says, Let's, let me provide for you some manna. In the morning, you're going to wake up, you're going to go out, and on the ground, what it's going to look like dew is going to be this white substance. And for six days, you're going to go out and you're going to grab up one omer of, of manna per person in your household. And manna means, what is it? Because when they came out the first morning, they are like, what is it? kind of like going through the, the night market in Beijing. You're looking going, what is it? I'm not too sure, but I'll try it anyway. So they go out there and they're gathering up the manna. And for six days, they're supposed to gather up a mount for one, per, one omer for each person. And on the, before the Sabbath, they are gathered two for each person. Because on the Sabbath, God didn't want them doing any work. He said, there's not going to be any manna tomorrow. 
So you gather up two. And those that tried to hoard it up the week, during the week previous, they found that every morning it had molded and gotten worms and it was nasty. So they learned to trust God for their daily bread. They gathered up just enough. But after a while, they weren't happy. And they decided to go back again. Numbers chapter 11 says, Now the people began complaining. Complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. How much hardship is there in wandering around compared to what they had to go through with their Egyptian taskmasters? When the Lord heard it, his anger burned, and fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. I think that would have gotten their attention, right? That would have gotten my attention. But no. Then the people cried out to Moses, and he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. I love verse 4. And the riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. And the Israelites wept again. So this riffraff is going around, stirring up commotion, stirring up trouble within the camp. God warned them. Fire on the outskirts of the camp. Let me get your attention. Stop your grumbling. Stop your complaining. I'm here to take care of you. But the riffraff, the whispering in the ear, if only we had some real meat, if only we had some real food, if only we had this, if only we had that, me, 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 me. The Israelites wept again and said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we eat in Egypt. And all the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to eat to look at but this manna. <laughs> oh my goodness. God is providing everything they need. God has given them all, their, all they could need to sustain them. And they can do nothing but grumble and complain. Verse 18. God says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in readiness for tomorrow you will eat meat. They must be going, yes, God has heard us. We're going to eat meat. Because, and you will eat meat because you wept in the Lord's hearing. Who will feed us this meat? We were better off in Egypt. The Lord will give you meat, and you will eat. You will eat not for one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days. But you will eat for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes nauseating to you. You hear it? the frustration, the anger in God's words because these people grumbled against God, grumbled against the circumstances that he was providing for them and taking them through. You're going to eat this meat not just for one day or two days or five days or 10 or 20, but for a whole month until it, I can't even picture it, comes out of their nostrils. And of course, it's a picture that God has given them. You're going to be so sick and tired of it, you're going to want to puke. Anybody ever worked in a restaurant? When I was in college, I worked, at, I worked for Pizza Hut. And when I first got a job, they were going, this is awesome. There's always leftover pizza at the end of the night. I get to go and take pizza home and get to eat it for free. I can, in the break time, I can go and get bread, breadsticks and pizza over here, and get spaghetti over there. And, this is awesome. 
And a month later, I'm going, please, no. Let me have peanut butter and jelly. Please, no more pizza. It makes me sick to look at it. Those who work at Chick-fil-A, I know there's a couple of you who work for Chick-fil-A, you come home smelling like chicken, come home from pizza smelling like pepperoni and cheese and the oils. You, anytime you work for the kitchen or the grill, you just come home smelling like that food you've been preparing. The what? It's just, after a while, it just gets rotten and you just don't like it. And the idea of eating it again just makes you sick. God said, you're going to eat this meat, you're going to eat this meat, and you're going to eat this meat because you have grumbled and have not had a grateful heart. He says, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and went before him, why did we ever leave Egypt? That's why I'm going to bring this upon you. You know, and this must have really frustrated and aggravated God. If we wonder how, how much this aggravated God in the rest of Scripture, he talks about this other times. He remembers this event throughout the words of Scripture. In Psalm 95, David's, through David, he says, Today, if you hear, the vo- the vo- hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and on the day of Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years... I was disgusted with this generation. And then he goes on a thousand years later in the book of Hebrews, still thinking about this. I mean, we talk about elephants having a long memory. Hello, this is God. A thousand years later, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15 says, As it is said today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The rebellion where they hardened their hearts against God. For who has heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? And there were different times of rebellion, and during, during that time there was the sons of Korah, there was Achan, there was all kinds of other stuff going on around that time. But God says, I brought you out of Egypt, and you rebelled against my graciousness. You rebelled against what I was there to give you. You were not satisfied with your circumstances and recognizing that I was in control, that I was in charge. See, God takes complaining personally because complaining overlooks the greatness of the grace that we have received. God, I'm not satisfied with my condition right now. I'm not satisfied with what I'm having to go through right now. I wish I could be having to go through something like John Smith. I wish I could be going through something. You're complaining, comparing your life to somebody else's. You're complaining your circumstances with somebody else's circumstances. You're comparing what you're having to go through with somebody else, not realizing that God has taken them through something to get where they are right now. And God has taken you through your circumstances to bring you out on the other side a stronger, greater, more in control, living a life of faith, trusting in God. I don't think anybody in here would have wished what Mike and Ken had to go through this past year with their health, through the accidents they had to go through. None of us would have said, I wish Mike would have had to have a problem with his arm and have to have surgeries and transplants. And I, wish, I wish Kenny would have gotten in a truck accident and get hit by a truck. Anybody here wish that upon these two men? No. 
but God is bringing them through it. Not that that is God's express will for your lives, but God is bringing you through it. And on the other end, you're going to be able to look back and go, God is great. God is awesome. Look what he brought me through. And the story you're going to be able to tell, the doctors you're going to be able to witness to, the nurses and your neighbors and family, you're going to be able to come through on the other side going, look what God has done through me and to me. And God has brought me out a stronger believer as a result of what I've gone through. See, we grumble and gripe about our circumstances instead of looking for that silver lining, looking for the, how is God going to work in my life? How is God a God? This may not be the job you want. How is God going to work in this job I'm in? This may not be the retirement situation I want to be in, but how is God going to work in this retirement situation? This may not be the family situation I want to be in, but how is God going to work through this family situation? This may not be the relationship I'm, the way I want to do my relationships, but how is God going to work in that relationship? Ask yourself, God, how do you want to work through me in this time? Instead of, wish I could have a life like Dave. Wish I could go through something like Rich. Wish I could go through something like Regina. Their life is easy right now. But you don't know what they've gone through to get where they are right now. Research has proven that the more we complain, the more we complain. Does that sound simplistic? The more you complain, the more you complain. They did a study. They, I love they. They are so smart. They have all the wisdom and knowledge. They did a study at some point. And they had two groups of people. With one group, they had them keep a journal and said, I want you to go throughout your day. I want you to write down everything good that happens to you. Just write it down, write it down, write it down, write it down, write it down. Find everything good, everything, every silver lining, you write it down. And then this other group, they said, I want you to go through, why don't you find everything just, I, this, that aggravates you, everything is not going right. And at the end of the study, they found that both groups, this group became much more grateful because they were looking for those areas in their lives that were going well. And this group continued on the path to destruction. This group continued on the path to complaining and whining and grumbling because everything was going wrong. Nothing was right. They got a promotion, but there was something wrong with the promotion. They got a new house, there was something wrong with the house. They got a new whatever, there was something that was not right with it. Because they refused to see the good in the situation, in their circumstances. The, Jew, the Jews had just come out of Egypt. They were free from their slavery, free from their bondage. And what's their first response? We don't have the right kind of food. The water, we're running out of water. We don't have the creature comforts of slave drivers whipping our backs every day. Instead of seeing their circumstances as God taking them through the desert to get to the promised land. God taking them through the hardship. Not pushing them through. Not saying, okay, go. Kicking them through and say, I'll see you on the other end. Taking them. Going with them. 
Was there not a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud going with them through the desert? Was God's presence not with them through the desert? And they developed a tabernacle and they, got, and they had the, the Ark of the Covenant, whatever that gold thing was, the Ark of the Covenant. And the brain got there for a second. God going with them through the desert. He didn't just send them and say, bye. Promised land's over there. See you in 40 years. God says, let's go together, hand in hand. You are not alone. The circumstance you're going through, the frustration, that anger, the fears that are ahead of you, you are not alone in it. See, what we find in looking at these circumstances is that whining is the opposite of worship. And complaining is the rival of grace. Are we not told to live lives of faith in Scripture? In fact, Hebrews 11 is devoted to this. It's like, look back at these people. Look back at these men and women in the faith. Look back at all these people, how they lived their lives in faith. They struggled, yes. They, they, they had to go through all these things so they could come out on the other end with faith strengthened and their belief strengthened and their trust strengthened in the Lord in spite of their circumstances. Complaining the rival of grace. If we're to live grace-filled lives as well, how can we not see God's hand working through us and God's hand going ahead of us and God's hand pushing us and, and holding our hand? If all we can do is gripe and complain about our circumstances, we can't see God working in it. And the Jews were so narrow-minded. They're so focused on themselves. It's like walking with a mirror in front of you. Hey, hey, beautiful, how are you? This life is going well as long as I'm looking at myself. And they could not see beyond the front of their noses at what God had in store for them. It's like there's a hashtag, first world problems. If you're on Twitter, you're on social media, you may have seen it. First world problems, I love it. Things that happen to you in the first world. When you stream your TV service and it slows down your update on your phone. I hate when that happens. I get to wait a whole two more minutes for my update on my phone. Next. Oh, my phone's at 3%. I'm not going to bed for at least an hour or two. Now I've got to charge my phone up. When you've got coffee meeting on your calendar but you really could use a lunch meeting instead. First world problems. I hate when that happens. The Twitter app needs to stop showing me the red notification badges as if I've got a notification and there's nothing even there. Has that ever happened to you? That's so stinking frustrating. I wish it would stop showing me those, yeah, those things like food. Or i got to wait an hour for my pizza to arrive. I'm so hungry. <laughs> That's my kids. What? i got to wait for you to go get the pizza and bring it back? I, I can't just bing. Those are first world problems. And we can gripe and complain about our problems when there are people who are really suffering, really struggling in this world. So if you, are, if you, have your, you think you have it bad, there's always somebody else around you who has it worse. You think you're struggling. You think you're going through a bad situation. You think you're going through a bad circumstance. 
There's always somebody around you who's in a tough situ- tougher situation. In this world, in this land rather, or other lands. When we were struggling financially overseas, there was always somebody else around us who was struggling worse. When we didn't, we were frustrated because the food didn't go quite the way we wanted it to be, there was always somebody else who struggled worse. When we were frustrated because we were struggling with the language overseas and we couldn't just, couldn't quite get it just right, there was another foreigner struggling a little worse than we were. And God used us to encourage them. God used our ability to eat almost anything to encourage those who struggled. God used us in our learning how to adapt to no electricity on multiple basis on a regular basis or not having water to flush your toilets on a regular basis sometimes for three or four days. We come back here and we're like, oh, the power's out. Psst. Light some candles. Oh, the water's out. Let's go grab the bathtub. Flush toilet that way. There was, I remember there was a time at our house in China. We didn't flush our toilet for two days. We heard the water was going to be out for a week. We're like, okay, when it gets bad, then you flush. <laughs> you learn to adapt. And you learn to let God get you through those circumstances. Look for those moments around us. We call them God moments. And turn our moments into opportunities to thank God for his mercies and his graciousness in our lives. You look for those times around us like this. I could wait for a whole hour. My internet's slow. Oh, electricity's out. What am I going to do now? I can't watch Netflix. I can't watch TV. What am I going to do? Uh, talk to your spouse. You find the... <laughs> I know that's difficult for some of you. You're like, talk to who? Read a book to your kids? Dads? Maybe the first time in a long time you've read a book to your kids? Or spend time talking with your spouse? You find moments, you find those God moments in our lives when God has created opportunities within our circumstances to glorify Him. You look for opportunities within our lives to find how God is working through our circumstances. Those God moments, those divine appointments. Having to wait a little bit longer in line at the supermarket, somebody walks up behind you. You get what you think is the short line, <laughs> but it's really the long line because the person in front of you has got 45,000 coupons. Maybe God's given you an opportunity to share, to talk to that person behind you, to be an encouragement. Maybe God's given you an opportunity to talk to the cash register person who's having to struggle through 45,000 coupons, to be an encouragement, to tell them what a good job they did and how they kept their temper and their cool because that other customer was maybe not so nice. And to be an encouragement, to be God's hands and feet to somebody else, to let God's grace go through you There was a man named Ed Dobson, a pastor. I never got to sit under him. He taught at Liberty University for a while. Left Liberty about the time I got there. Not because I was getting there. Don't go there. He left Liberty about the time I was getting there to go back and pastor 
in Michigan. After several years, he was diagnosed with ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. And as you know, there's no known reason why ALS comes on, and there's no cure for it. It just happens. And it's a very, very, very debilitating disease. Your body just slowly shuts down. Ed said this in his book. I want to read this to you. Seeing Through the Fog. He said, There are many things for which I am not grateful. I can no longer button the buttons on my shirt. I can no longer put a heavy jacket. I can no longer raise my right hand above my head. I can no longer write. I can no longer eat with my right hand. I eat with my left hand, which to me is no problem. That's the correct hand to eat with, in case you didn't know. I can no longer eat with my right hand, I eat with my left. And even now, that is becoming a challenge. Over time, all these challenges will get worse and worse. And So what in the world do I have to be grateful for? So much, Lord. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Lord, thank you that I can turn over in my bed. Lord, thank you that I can still get out of bed. Lord, I thank you that I can walk to the bathroom. Lord, thank you that I can still brush my teeth. Lord, thank you that I can still eat breakfast. Lord, thank you that I can still dress myself. Lord, thank you that I can still drive my car. Lord, I thank you that I can still walk. Lord, I thank you that I can still talk. And the list goes on and on. I have learned in my journey with ALS to focus on what I can do, not on what I can't do. I have learned to be grateful for the small things in my life, for the many things I can still do. Perspective. Keeping it in perspective. Looking at what he can do instead of being frustrated and angry at what he can't do. Keeping it in perspective. Are you drawing breath? Are you able to praise God? Maybe you can't lift your hand up like you used to. Maybe you you can't praise God like you want to. Maybe you can't see as well as you used to. But you can still get a big print Bible and you can still read God's Word. You still have a voice to speak to your neighbor and to your family. You still have uh, the ability to praise God. You still have the ability to listen to God's Word and to the songs to be encouraged You can still feed yourself. You can still drive. You can still get dressed by yourself. Toward the end of Ed's life, he would get up and his wife, he sat on the edge of the bed while his wife got him dressed, buttoning all of his buttons because he couldn't, he didn't have the ability to button his shirts any longer. He didn't have the ability toward the end to pick up his fork and spoon to feed himself. He had to be fed by his wife and by a caretaker. He couldn't drive himself any longer. He couldn't speak any longer. But he was still grateful for what he was able to do all the way to the end. And now he sits in God's presence with a new body and a new mind, praising God, enjoying the banquet table of our Lord, sitting with God, walking hand in hand, Marcus's inscription, forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. 
See, it turns out that Marcus woke up one morning jaundiced. He described himself as orange as a pumpkin. He had been a heavy drinker earlier in his life and assumed that he had cirrhosis of the liver. And when he went to the hospital for testing, within an hour, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he was told he only had a few days to live. He was put on chemo and the progression of the cancer slowed, giving him more time than he doctors had predicted. And when asked about how to be grateful in such circumstances, he said, it started slowly. I began being grateful for little things like clothes, like my next meal, the material things, you know, that we consider our daily bread. And I began to see that see things through different eyes, and now I see things in an eternal light. How this life will have a profound effect on my next life. How anticipation of the next life is having a profound effect on this life I have now. And it's been truly amazing. I went to for I want to forward a message on to my wayward past, any wayward passerby who comes across my headstone and identifies with it. And who has the eyes to discern the message. The simple line is, forgive me for the days I was not grateful. And in that one sentence it states my problem, that I was not grateful. And it also includes the, the solution, forgive me. And that's the message I want to pass on. God, forgive me for the days I, have, I am not grateful. For the days I have not been grateful. God has blessed me immensely. God has grace has shown out in my life. In spite of my circumstances, God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater than what you're going through. God's grace is greater than your disappointments. His peace can reign in your disappointments. And his peace will go before you despite your circumstances. This morning as we close, I wonder if there might be someone here been fighting with God about your circumstances. Been fighting with God about your expectations. Now we all have expectations for our lives. We all expect to be good looking. We expect to stay thin. We expect to be muscular men. We expect, we expect, we expect. And when our expectations are not lived out, the temptation is to be frustrated and to be ungrateful. And I wonder if this morning, rather than looking at our frustrations, you might look at your circumstances and say, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for taking me through that. For going with me like that pillar of fire or the pillar of cloud. Not just sending me, but going with me through that. If you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute.